Hello, and welcome to BJGP Interviews. I'm Nada Khan, and I'm one of the associate editors of the BJGP. Thanks for taking the time today to listen to this podcast. In today's episode, we talk to Professor Jonathan Mant, who is Professor of Primary Care and is head of the primary care unit within the Department of Public Health and Primary Care at the University of Cambridge. We're going to discuss the paper that he and his colleagues have published in the BJGP titled Progression of Stroke Risk in Atrial Fibrillation, a Cohort Study in General Practice. So thank you, Jonathan, for joining me here today to discuss this research. This is a research project focusing on a big area of change within general practice and looks at atrial fibrillation, especially with more people coming to see us with wearable devices that can detect AF. Can you talk us through a bit of the background of this project and the reasons for doing this research? Yes. So um, we're well aware, uh, as you said, that many more people have been diagnosed with atrial fibrillation now. And that's partly because of um, initiatives um, at the general practice level, but also because increasingly people are diagnosing themselves to have atrial fibrillation uh, because of using smartwatches and all the various other sort of devices that people can use. Um, and, and there is increasing, I think, awareness of, of the importance of atrial fibrillation uh, in, in, in the general population. Now, in, in terms of current guidance for GPs, I mean, we, we've got clear guidance on what to do with uh, people who um, are at risk, a sufficient risk of stroke to warrant anticoagulation. And we've got good guidance about what to do with um, symptomatic atrial fibrillation in terms of rhythm and, and rate control. But a lot of people who are first diagnosed with atrial fibrillation have no symptoms and they don't qualify for anticoagulation. So the question is, what, what do you do about those people? Now, the, the, um, the current, um, in, a, in a sense, the current guidance as through QOF is that such people should be reviewed uh, annually, um, but no details about what should take place in that an, annual review. And there isn't really any evidence to uh, underpin that um, other than it, it, it simply to see if, if their risk of stroke has, has changed in that year. So what we wanted to do was um, using the clinical practice research the data link, big uh, database of GP data to work out what was the the, the risks that people um, who uh, were at low risk of, of stroke when they were diagnosed with atrial fibrillation what how rapidly would they develop risk factors um, and so we we included everyone aged under the age, under the age of sixty five because you, you get a, a, a kind of a a, a, um, a point for for risk when you hit the age of sixty five. And we, we followed them up um, retrospectively using the clinical practice research data link to see how long would it take before uh, they either hit the age of 65 or uh, they developed a risk factor. Uh, and so overall, we, we found that it was about 6% per year of, of people that developed a new risk factor. And uh, what uh, was particularly interesting to us was that um, the, 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 the most common risk factors would go over hypertension, um, and uh, heart failure. Now, um, that, that was, I guess, a, a slight surprise. So the, that heart failure is, of one and a half percent is way over what you'd expect from the, the, the population. Um, uh, likewise, hypertension, the rate of new diagnosis is about double what you'd expect in the, in the normal population. Um, similarly, actually, diabetes uh, was also the, 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 the rate of diagnosis is about double what you'd expect in the normal population. It's interesting that these risks were much higher 
in this population than the non-atrial fibrillation population, which probably has implications for reassessing the stroke risk amongst these patients, I suppose. Um, no, absolutely. In, in the, the, the sort of epidemiological evidences in the past has tended to focus on the relationship the other way around. So is diabetes a risk factor atrial fibrillation rather than does having atrial fibrillation lead to diabetes? Now, clearly, our, our, our study can't uh, pretend to, to uh, assume that the, the relationships are causal. Uh, but with the heart failure in particular, where, where there was a yeah, really very high incidence, I, I think, and, and there is literature to suggest that atrial fibrillation does cause heart failure, um, it, it does mean, I think, that um, I think it a substantiates, if you like, the quaff indicator that people should be reviewed annually. But also, I think it's Specifically, it says yeah, when you have those annual reviews, you should um, consider heart failure, uh, obviously check the blood pressure and um, consider uh, screening for, for diabetes. And I wonder if it's just also briefly discussing the CHADS-VAST score and the age mm. cohort you selected here. So on the CHADS-VAST score, as you mentioned, if you're aged between 65 and 74, you score a point, which can sometimes push people into a recommendation for anticoagulation mm-hmm. in AF. But your study focused on this much younger cohort that wouldn't necessarily even score a point for yes, stroke risk. That, that, that's right. As, as, as you know, the, the, the NICE guidelines in terms of anticoagulation um, are, you use the CHADS-VAST uh, risk scoring. And but the, the, the in, in NICE, if, if you have a score of two, offer anticoagulation. If you have a score of one, you consider anticoagulation um, unless you're a, a, a female because you get one point for being female. And if you have a score of zero as a male or one as a female, nice recommendation is not to consider anticoagulation. So, so hence, we focused on that low-risk group. And in particular, we, we see that that low-risk group has been what will explode in the future because we, we know that the, the, the take-up of the new technologies such as smart watches and so on, it, it is very much in the younger uh, age groups. So um, uh, we do anticipate that there will be much more a, a, a fibrillation diagnosed in people who, who, who have no other risk factors. And a little bit outside your specific research, but do you know how well the QAF standards about reassessing people each year for risk of stroke progression or uh, within uh, people with atrial fibrillation is upheld within general practice how well do we do that yeah that's a good question i'm afraid i, I don't know the answer <laughs> should, i should have looked that up before <laughs> ne- next study then maybe <laughs> well i, I it's probably i uh, know it's, it's it's probably on the quaf uh, website to be honest um you know the the, the, the data's uh, i mean i think quaf Pop data is published on the NHS um, fingertips uh, site, isn't it? Any other key findings you want to highlight from this research? The, the one point is is that when in in our study population of everyone aged under the age of sixty five with AF, uh, about half of the people uh, already had risk factors, so fell out of our study at, at the beginning. And um, interestingly, the, the the balance of risk factors at the beginning was different. So hypertension remained the commonest, but actually heart failure. Um, was the least common at the beginning. So it, which, which does su- su- suggest, a, 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 again, I think it reinforces the importance of, of considering um, monitoring for heart failure in, in people who have atrial fibrillation. Mm. And what's your take-home message here for those working in primary care? What should we be doing better? Yeah, so I, th- I think the take-home message is that um, someone who has a diagnosis of atrial fibrillation um, does need 
uh, regular review. Um, and, and I guess in the entirety, you know, that review would be to consider whether they're getting any symptoms from the atrial fibrillation that, um, that needs treatment. Uh, but also importantly, have they developed any of those risk factors which you know, need treatment in their own right, um, such as uh, heart failure? We, we know that you know, there's very good evidence that the earlier you treat heart failure, the, the, the better the, the outcomes. The same with uh, diabetes, the, um, probably the same with, with hypertension. Um, and so I think what it does is it makes the, the, the current COF guidance just a bit more granular. So the COF guidance just said to reassess the chads fast score. What we're saying is that, you yes, but do that by actively looking for these, um, these risk factors for stroke, specifically heart failure, hypertension and diabetes uh, to, to see um, if they occur. And especially in the case of hypertension and diabetes, screening for that within this population in general practice is relatively straightforward and Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's a near, near patient test, uh, blood pressure measure, so it's a very easily done. Um, sorry, there's one other finding, an important sort of negative finding that, that occurs to me, is, is that we also confirmed that the risk of stroke in this population was low, uh, point, overall 0.7% per annum. Uh, and so that kind of confirms that this in, in this group, anticoagulation shouldn't be being considered. So that, yeah, it just confirming that the guidelines are right and, and that um, you know, GPs shouldn't be considering starting anticoagulation in, 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 in these people without any uh, other risk factors. So useful in terms of reaffirming the current guidance on yes, yeah, yeah, risk. yeah. Great, that's perfect. Really great. It's it's a very clear study, and as you say, it's um, a clear analysis with clear recommendations for practice. So I think this is an ideal thing to put out in a podcast for GPs to take back to their own clinical work. So yeah, I've learned something. So it's been great. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Thank <you. laughs> so thanks, Jonathan, for your time here, and thank you all very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research article can be found on bjgp.org and the show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. This is a great paper, very clear, with clear recommendations for GPs in how to monitor patients with atrial fibrillation in practice. And I've definitely learned something to take back to my clinic. Thanks again for listening and bye. Bye.